This is Actualize Freedom, straight talk on growing clicks and conversions on Amazon FBA from people doing it every day. Now here's your host, digital marketing acrobat, Danny Kenji Carlson. What's up guys, Danny Carlson here and today's guest we have scientist turned startup founder Chris Rawlings. He's got not your typical Amazon seller story. He manages a lot of large brands and he's also involved in two really interesting tech startups which we're going to learn about in a little bit. So we're actually on exactly the opposite ends of the world right now. He is 12 hours time difference on the eastern time zone. I'm over here in Bali, 5.30 a.m., 5.30 p.m. Welcome to the podcast. How's it going Chris? Dang, dude, you wake up early. You must be in the 5 a.m. club. The 5 a.m. club. Well, I try to force myself to do that by scheduling calls at 5.30. <laughs> so there's no excuses. You <laughs> get you up and you get out of bed. Um, between 9.30 and 10.30 yeah, on, a, oh, on a good God. night. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's awesome. I got to come down there and you got to teach me how to live. That sounds great. With the global team that we have, I've been staying up late way too often. I love that. It's funny. I feel like most entrepreneurs are either a night owl and staying up till 2 a.m. or they're a, you know part of the 5 a.m. club, waking up at 4 and going and hitting the gym or you know, that crazy A-type on either extreme, right? I, I would love to be in that 5 a.m. club. Like That's like my dream. Like I want that so bad. But there's so many forces like pulling me to stay up late, like people that I need to work with that can only work during that time. And it's like... Ugh, I want so bad, so badly to live like you, Danny. One day <laughs> we'll, we'll meet uh, in Chengdu, and uh, and uh, hopefully your your influence will seep into me. Well, Chris, I mean, I feel the same way about you. Just looking a little bit about what you're doing currently and what you've already achieved. Let's start off by asking you about Judo Launch. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about what Judo Launch is, what you do, um, and the story of really how quickly that scaled using investors. Yes, sure. So Judo Launch actually started as <clears throat> um, helping uh, brands launch their their brands internationally on international Amazon markets. That was like our first kind of niche. We were the only guys doing launches in Germany, um, France, Italy, Spain. We had the UK, we had Japan. Um, then we went to the US. Like at first, we were just like the international guys, and we were known as that. People always came to us to do launches internationally. Um, then, as you know, as always tends to happen to you know when you start really niche, you start to move toward the mean. We added more services, we added more software solutions, we added more markets, um, and uh, yeah. So now we are basically a full service Amazon services uh, and, and solutions company. So we're doing PPC management, and then we also do enterprise account management for larger brands, managing essentially their entire Amazon presence, helping them to increase conversions, you know, create optimized listings with enhanced brand content, and great photos and videos and all that, um, and then helping them drive traffic through you know, running an efficient feedback loop on their, their PPC management. So uh, yeah, and we're still doing launches you know, all the time as well, you know, staying true to our original identity. But uh, yeah, that's, and, and as you mentioned, we can get into it as much as you want, but we went down the route of venture funding. We raised venture capital from some of the top tech accelerators in the world, actually, um, somehow. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and that, that, you know, to be fully transparent, brought highs and lows with it. Um, you know, we kind of thought we could scale faster than we could. You know, we went through kind of booms and busts. Um, I learned a ton from it. Um, it was definitely an accelerated learning process because we went through tech accelerators, like 500 startups, um, in order to do it, which is basically like college for a company instead of a person, you know. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we could dig into any of that stuff as much as you want. Yeah, well, maybe let's dig into. Uh, you said the booms and the bus. I want to hear about some of the bus because I firmly believe that. If anyone's going to be really successful and reach a high level at something, they need to go through a lot of the lows. One, to learn the lessons, but two, just to become mentally, like to build that mental fortitude that it really yeah. takes to, to push through to that, to that next level, right? So tell us about like, oh. what were the, some of the lows that came after that venture funding? Dude, I can't even communicate with like English words like 
how low some of the loads were, honestly. Because like as entrepreneurs, I mean, you we all know, all, all your listeners know listening to this, um, if they've taken a risk and they've started a business, um, well, maybe they know, maybe they don't know, but eventually they'll find out your identity gets wrapped up in what you do. And uh, I mean, especially for someone like you, Danny, where your personal brand, you know, is very strongly interrelated with the company, which ours is like that as well. You know, Chris Rawlings um, has a lot to do with judo launch and vice versa. Um, and so, but even when that's not the case, when it's just a brand, you know, that your name is not all over, like, you know, your Amazon brand, which is the same as me with the health and health and personal care brand that I started back in 2015. Um, <clears throat> that was very successful. Uh, your identity gets wrapped up in it. And then when things go wrong, and especially if things look like they might go totally south and you might go bust, um, it feels like death or it feels like potential death. It feels like near death. Um, at least to me, I'm just describing my own experiences. So with Judah launch, I mean, we had a lot of, we, we hired too fast, had to fire some of my best friends in the world. Um, we went through a, a time that we're still not completely out of where we had predatory, predatory investor partner, try to completely take over the business and kick me out. Um, Steve Jobs style. Um, we went through times where our business model was no longer valid the way that we had structured it. And we had to completely shift um, how we thought about our business model in terms of where our business comes from and our fulfillment um, style and strategy and had to adapt extremely you know, quickly in order to maintain the, the trajectory that we were on. Um, so yeah, and all these things, you know, what, it, what I think it really does because you, you touched on mental fortitude. Uh, to me, what I've tried to get out of it, um, thinking in sort of in the same way that Ray Dalio, I don't know if you know what Ray Dalio, who's the, the founder of, I think the largest hedge fund, private hedge fund in the world, uh, Bridgewater Associates. Um, one of his like principles that I totally subscribe to is, you know, big failures and big losses are an essential part of growth, as you were saying, as long as you take the lessons permanently and internalize them into your algorithm for how to make decisions in your head um, and in your heart and your deep emotions. And so to me, when you wanted to hear about the lows, the lows, you know, at, at in the moments really felt like they had broken or were breaking me all the way down to my essential components. And I, you know, I've gone from thinking I'm going to be a billionaire to thinking I'm going to live on the street to thinking something in between and then back to the other side. Um, and then back down. Um, and the whole freaking, you know, uh, spectrum and, and also the effect and impact that you're going to have on the world and the people and your customers and your team and your tribe as well. And not wanting to let those people down and wanting to make people's lives better. So it forces you to kind of, I don't want to say not take things so seriously, but realize that it's not like death, that there you know, are plenty of years of life and like almost all successful you know, people have had really low rock bottoms happen. Um, and when you hit that, it doesn't mean that you are a failure. It means that your algorithm for decision-making was flawed and that you should update your algorithm, do a firmware update. And the essential tools for doing that, and I'm not going to ramble this whole time, but I, you touched on something that you know, I, I feel very strongly about. Um, the essential tools for integrating the lessons of these big failures are uh, everything relating to self-observation and reflection. And I mean, this is actually how artificial intelligence makes itself better by observing itself. So it's how a conscious thinking being can get smarter and get better is through the act of, of reflection, self-observation, and then alteration. And the, the tools, the tactics that allow you to do that are, for me at least, are one, meditation, two, running without music, and three, uh, mindfulness. And, and those tools, those like three main tools have allowed me to take 
so much more out of the the failures and the lows and the you know complete breakdowns than I have out of the successes. I absolutely just love what you said there, Chris. And I would just add one to the list personally for me that has been really useful and I've been doing a lot more of recently is journaling. Um, and specifically oh, yeah. journaling I on the that. beach because I'm that's in San Diego. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I do it too. I use Microsoft OneNote. I've got over 10,000 notes that I've made over the last uh, 11 years. And um, I've, I completely subscribe to that. That's a huge one. And the way your style is great, by the way, doing it down by the beach, man. I love that. Yeah, uh, it's something about just the beach waves and uh, the writing on a physical piece of paper that, you know, you whatever you're going through, just getting it out there and crystallizing it can make it seem totally okay, right? If your world's coming crashing down and the, your self-identity is tied to the business and the business is not doing so good, right? you know, that, that's something that, that needs to be processed through and, and removing the link between how good you are at business at that current moment in time and your own self-worth, I think is one of the biggest challenges that entrepreneurs are going to have to go through. Um, like it's certainly been a big challenge for me. Um, and I've, I've done a lot of things that um, have removed that link. So my happiness is not so directly tied to how the business is currently doing, but it's still definitely right. something that is struggled with. Um, what is so important you've done to, to, you know, divorce your identity from that and remove that link between you know your value as a person and and the success of the business probably the number one thing that i've done um, and this is still an ongoing thing for sure is just following basically what tom bill you um prescribes is building your identity around things that are intrinsic to you that cannot be taken away things things that have nothing to do with business have nothing to do with sports because in sports if you you know i love doing acro yoga and standing acrobatics but if i break my wrist then i can't do anything for however many months right and there goes my ego and self-worth so things that are intrinsic to me like being the type of person who is um lives a healthy lifestyle and is resilient and can can make decisions based on the best information and doesn't get emotionally emotionally attached to certain outcomes mm -hmm. just things that can be generated from myself and just remembering that i can actually generate happiness through things like meditation like mm -hmm. literally when things are going the worst of all in the business for example or in relationships or whatever there's been moments where you can reach a really blissful state of happiness just from just from meditation and just from doing some internal mind exercises and on the flip mm -hmm. side there's times when things are going the best and my mental state is all over the place and I'm just worried about shit mm -hmm. and not happy. So just trying to remember and come back to that. Like it's, it's a choice and like letting yourself getting too wrapped up into the business and how it's doing inevitably is just going to lead to some kind of, some kind of mental um, snafu. Yeah, it's so true. That is so true. And it takes, it actually takes a lot of self-awareness to be able to make that decision, especially in the hard moments, because what you want to do when you're backed into a corner, or when you're, where you're in a hole is just scramble your way out of it single-mindedly. But what you should do is observe and reflect how you got in the hole and then learn from it as you remove yourself from it. But it takes, you know, an incredible amount of self-control and self-awareness and self-observation to be able to do that those things simultaneously right yeah to look at your failures over and over again to figure out exactly why it happened and everything like that instead of just pushing it away and just like hey i never want to look at that again let's just forget all about that actually looking at it and seeing why you failed um and speaking of that this is a good segue into I know you work with a lot of larger and smaller businesses and you have to have a lot of key performance indicators, KPIs in place to really monitor how everything's doing and keep it systematized. Yeah. I want to know what is the difference between the KPIs you're looking at on these larger businesses and some of these smaller businesses, um, probably like a lot of listeners with maybe a few Amazon products. Yeah, well, so the for the, I think large and small, the most important thing is to have metrics that actually allow you to make better decisions, not vanity metrics. So, you know, a vanity metric is something like just top line revenue or, or units sold, which is important to know and to track. But if you're if you don't have the underlying metrics that you feel 
are relating to driving that top line metric that um, makes you feel so good to see, you know, big numbers there, then it's not helping you make better decisions um, or make decisions that lead you to uh, a better outcome. So for both businesses, the most key, the both types of businesses, large and small, the most key thing to take into consideration is making sure that you're tracking the right things. Um, and so, you know, for us, lar larger brands that have, you know, hundreds of SKUs and ASINs, um, they need to be able to see the business from a high level. But then, you know, at least for the ASINs we manage, they also need to be able to look down and to be able to see how those ASINs are performing and why they're performing well or why they're performing badly. So what we do is we set up uh, the metrics necessary to create a feedback loop. So the metrics should be affecting one another so that we know if we uh, make a change in one, that it'll affect another one, which will affect another one and hopefully trickle down to that or, or up to that top line metric. So an example of that is um, for a given ASIN or marketplace, um, well, let's talk ASIN, tracking the conversion rate of the listing week on week, tracking the PPC campaigns um, and not only the A cost, but the top performing keywords on it week on week, uh, and then tracking the sales uh, and the other PPC metrics like clicks uh, and click-through rate um, week on week and month on month and and the uh, keyword ranking uh, week on week for the top keywords. And those metrics all affect one another, like the outputs of PPC, which are the keywords that are performing best for you during that period of time that you're tracking can become the inputs for the listing optimization tweaks that you make that have an impact on your conversion rate that you're tracking. Um, that increase in conversion rate can have an impact on your top keyword ranking. And then of course your top keyword ranking has an effect on impressions, which paired with your conversion rate has an effect on the top line revenue that the, the product is doing. And um, I mean, when you say it out like that, it almost sounds like, duh, yeah, it's completely obvious. But I mean, I can tell you, cause we've worked with over 400 brands now a vast majority, and in fact, I don't think I've ever come across a brand that actually tracks all of these things diligently uh, and consistently in, in one place. Like everyone's got different tools that they use to track inventory, track this, track that. But having it in one place in your key performance indicator sheet and having them all filled in week after week is the only way to really get an understanding of the trajectory of your business, um, and especially long term, and those are just the key performance indicators that are not, you know, non-financial. Top line revenue from the product is financial, but you also need to be able to track, you know, the actual income, uh, the margin over time, um, the you know other fees associated with shipping and you know, packaging and all of that over time, and forecast out when know new shipments need to be ordered and, and all of that and uh i mean i can tell you danny like most brands are really just winging it and it's crazy even really big ones because we work with eight and nine figure brands as well um you know that being said many of them you know amazon is not their primary focus and hence why they're they work with us because it is our primary focus but uh many of them even are just kind of winging it you know like a ship without a sail Oh, yeah. And like I've certainly seen um, I, I want to say even most brands that we have we have gone through the steps of like seeing what kind of systems they have set up for this. Don't even track keyword ranking, you know, maybe maybe one of the most important things to be tracking of all. Right. So I want to know if you are a smaller brand, uh, let's say you have a few Amazon products, maybe maybe up to five Amazon products and you probably don't have these KPIs figured out. What would you say are the the small number of key core KPIs that they should be following? You, you know, they probably don't want to set up all of the ones that you mentioned if they really don't have the resources and the know-how to to track them all, right? Well, dude, you know, I mean, that's the thing. It sounds kind of intimidating, 
but in reality it takes a very small amount of time to track these things on a weekly basis like if you just tracked revenue generated from the product the impressions the units sold the keyword ranking on the top uh, five keywords uh, and the conversion rate then you already have that feedback loop of things that all play into one another and to actually get those and put them in a spreadsheet i mean in terms of the real time to actually do it it would take you about 10 minutes you know per week to do it and it doesn't have to be you either it can be your va or someone someone on your staff um so in reality it doesn't even take that much energy but it's crazy the change that happens when you start tracking it and you see trajectories of things you're like wow you know I've been kind of like looking at this now and now and then, but now as I see the trajectory of this, I see that it's been on a downward spiral. And this is because we've been sniped by this competitor who's counterfeiting our goods and doing product placement ads on our listing or whatever the reason is, you know, you can start to draw conclusions when you see, you know, multiple, it, it takes like two points to make a line, you know? So when you're just checking whenever and kind of blitzkrieging it, and just shotgun approach, um, you don't get to see trends. But once two, three, four, five data points are in there, you know, you could see, oh, wow, my conversion rate has been trending down on this product recently. And I see that that is correlated um, with us losing impressions as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing what it does, just that very simple act. Yeah. And so one of the biggest questions I get about KPIs and tracking these kind of metrics is, okay, so like people see that the metrics are trending up and down and you just gave a few examples of this, but they, they then get very confused into why is it going up and down and the troubleshooting mm -hmm. process. So can you give us, can you give us um, maybe some examples or some frameworks that you use yeah. to go through this troubleshooting process with KPIs? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for us, we have a good, because of the experience we have and the data we have working with over 400 brands and doing over 2000 product launches, we have you know, the ability to know what is generally a good or acceptable metric in different niches or categories in different markets. So we know, you know, if we're in the toy space in the U S and we're working with the listing that has a 9% conversion rate, something's wrong because that conversion rate really should be closer to 20% in that space, you know, in that market, uh, in that subcategory. So then we'll say, okay, so why would it be getting lower, lower conversion rate? And we would do an audit to take a look at what the competitors, uh, listings look like, what the, um, what the, does the listing have enhanced brand content? You no, know, does it cross promote between products? Um, by either advertising on each other's products or getting the frequently bought together box or doing a carousel um, in the enhanced brand content. Uh, we'd say, you know, how captivating is the, the first image, you know, in order to get uh, clicks to the listing in the first place um, and kind of just ask all the questions to die and, and hit all the brick walls necessary until you get that open door to diagnose it because it can always be, it's, it's always different. Um, like we have one company that we've worked with for three years now that sells a kid's product. Uh, it's kind of like a toy, but it's like a functional toy. And this guy's great at licensing. Um, you might know him. His name's Paul. He's, he's presented a lot at, uh, different conferences about licensing and, um, and he's very active in the Amazon seller community. But, uh, so for him, it turned out what was really affecting his conversions was there was this knockoff brand who was taking all of the product placement ad spots on all of his listings. And it looked so similar to his product that customers were thinking that they were variations of his product and clicking off his listing and buying theirs. So even though he was paying for all of these PPC ad spots, customers would come to his listing and not know the difference between, you know, uh, paid ad spots and variations because they look so similar and they're basically poaching all of his traffic because he was the top brand in this, in this category. Um, and so, I mean, that's not something you would ever think of, but that's seeing the trend of conversion, uh, conversion rate, um, 
which was you know quite puzzling we just asked why 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 in so many different ways until we could diagnose the problem i think the the most foundational thing from the mindset perspective is thinking from first principles and using a uh, scientific method you know you come up with a hypothesis then you try to find evidence to either validate or invalidate and then you act once you've discovered the truth and uh yeah so running that process um is is the key to the diagnosis that you mentioned this podcast is brought to you by kenji roi a complete done for you service for your amazon listing creation and optimization everything from product photography including lifestyle images with a real model graphic design images and studio images to the copywriting and keyword optimization, to videos, and enhanced brand content if you're lucky enough to have brand registry. We also manage marketing when it comes to Amazon ads. And also, for some bigger sellers out there who might be interested in building a messenger list, we offer services creating the many chat funnels to follow up with customers for more reviews, to help build your own audience so you can launch new products to help rank for new keywords. Um, and there is Facebook ad management built into that as well for the right sellers. So if you want to learn more about Kenji ROI, head to K-E-N-J-I-R-O-I.com. That is actually my middle name, Kenji, with the R-O-I added onto the end. Yeah, I think that is an answer that is it's one of those answers that doesn't satisfy the people looking for that quick and easy answer, like here's the way to do it, but it is really the only way to do it, right? Because that example that you gave is such a specific thing that is so unlikely to be the case for most cases, but it was only figured out by looking at that metric, like, hey, this metric isn't right, what's going on here? And just looking at it from that scientific perspective, digging into, yeah. hey, it could be this. No, it wasn't this. Hey, it could be yeah. this. No, it wasn't that. Keep looking. Yeah. Right? I love the mindset behind that. Um, and another thing that I know you have some very interesting experience with is um, in investors in general. And this is kind of taking a, a little bit of a departure from Amazon for a second, but this is, this is too meaty not to jump into. So, you have founded the company Token X and raised 4.5 million in a few months with this with this other company. Uh, what like what has that whole process been like for you? And you know what exactly is Token X? Yeah, I mean actually Judo Launch as well. Judo Launch raised funds and also it's called 22X. Uh, 22X um, raised that four and a half million, and that was a tokenized uh, security that represented. Uh, equity in a basket of early stage tech startups. And uh, it was the first ever of its kind. Um, there's a TED talk about it by one of my co-founders um, online. We, uh, we gained the attention of Entrepreneur Magazine, BuzzFeed and Shipin and a bunch of other top publications. We got around, you know, 3,500 investor applications. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was just a crazy time. Um, but you know so there's that and then there's also the more traditional way of raising funding that uh judo launch went through and uh so i i personally did over 185 investor pitches um and also interacted with you know thousands of investors through this kind of uh more public way that we raised from the crowd through 22x and um and yeah i mean well, as we were discussing before we started recording here, Danny, it's so kind of crazy how little overlap there is between these worlds because you and I are used to living in this cash flow generating news type of, you know, digital nomad, self-funded bootstrap startup world of, you know, e-commerce brands. Um, and then there's this whole separate world of the venture funded tech startup, uh, route. And, um, it's amazing to me how little overlap there is between the two. And I feel like there should be more because there's so many opportunities for both parties to sync up. Um, but there are drastic differences, you know, between these two worlds, like the, the uh, venture fund to tech world, the valuations you get are insane. You know, like for a SaaS tech company, you're going to get a valuation of between five and 10 times the revenue of the company, the yearly revenue of the company. For an Amazon business, when you sell your business, you're going to get as a valuation between two and three times 
the EBITDA earnings of the business. That's a dramatic difference, you know, more than an order of magnitude uh, difference in how the company is valued. Um, and which taught me that a lot of uh, fundraising is about um, perception. And so the wonderful thing that going through the fundraising route teaches you is how to craft a compelling story and vision. And, uh, you know, for a bootstrapped, you know, um, company, bootstrap self-funded muse type of company, you know, like a, like an Amazon brand that many of your listeners you know, have started and, and are running, uh, you know, some of the essential skills are, you know, being connected to reality, knowing how to do cash flow uh, forecasting, building a team and managing them, uh, perhaps remotely, um, you know, accountability and all of that. For a tech founder, you know, some of the essential skills, you know, are some of those things, but there are also other ones that completely don't overlap, which are like almost in a sense, not a disconnect from reality, but almost the opposite of that, where it's, it's about painting the picture, having the vision, being able to communicate to somebody else a reality that has not been manifested yet of your future vision of the company or the company's vision of itself in the future. <clears throat> and getting resources in the form of capital and connections and anything else, partnerships, based on that vision. So your ability to successfully grow in this route becomes more about how well you can convince somebody that your vision of reality is going to be the one that really happens in the future and that you and your team are the ones to build that reality. And in order to do that, there are a couple essential elements and I'm, I'm just going to take like one minute to run through them because I know we have other stuff to cover and all of that. But the main elements of a really good investor pitch are you have to succinctly communicate a problem that exists and you have to succinctly communicate the solution that you've created or you're proposing to create. You have to show how big the market is for the solution and how big your piece of the market should be for the solution. So if you say, you know, for a uh, Amazon PPC automation tool, um, e-commerce e e is like $5 trillion or, you know, something um, crazy. You're not talking about the whole e-commerce market. You're talking about the portion of e-commerce market that's selling on Amazon and then the portion of those Amazon brands that are spending money on PPC and then the portion of the PPC that's spent on other services helping them to optimize their PPC. So you have to be able to show what your market size is. Then you have to be able to show why your team is credible. I'm I am the one to build this because I've experienced in this domain. I built this, this, and this in my past. My co-founder has experience in that, that, that. He built that in his past. Our advisors have all had their own, you know, eight, nine-figure exits, and you know they're all in our domain and our top thought leaders in the space. We've been backed by XYZ, you know, group or investor or partner or whatever. We are the team to do it. And then you also need to show competitively that you have some kind of edge. So here's the competitive landscape. Here are other people doing things like this, but we're different because we have XYZ and we're, you know, smarter and faster and yada, yada, yada. And uh, yeah, so those are the main elements. Uh, oh, and then, of course, traction. We've already done this. We've already done that. We've already got X, Y users. You know, we project Z, Q, theta users in the future. And then if an investor likes what you're telling about, then they just dump a bunch of gasoline on the fire and you are off to the, the uh, races, right? And you just, you start the hiring, you start just, just hammering it away. That is a really, it's always been fascinating to me, the whole SaaS world and tech startup world, but also is incredibly scary to me as someone who, like you said, did not really come up in this kind of world at all. It is a completely different mindset. Um, mm -hmm. It, you know, what is that like from from like a, a stress point of view or like a like it or keeping staying up at night kind of view? Is that a lot more a lot more pressure when there's like that much of a you know you got the investor money, you got the team and everything like that? Like, what is that? A lot more to deal with mentally than an Amazon business, for example. Uh, 
enormously. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't diminish the stress of running an Amazon business or an e-commerce brand because it comes with its own stresses, you know, cash flow problems and funding inventory, competitors and click fraud and all, whatever. Um, but I will say that once you have investors, you have bosses and, you know, people to who have to hold you accountable because they have bosses, they're LPs, you know, fund has LPs that back them and they're on their asses, you know, so they're going to be on your ass, lighting a fire under your ass. And also uh, it's weird because you run into the situation where there's an enormous amount of pressure to grow and, and grow extremely quickly. And, uh, and it almost puts you in this false mindset, or at least for me, it put me in this false mindset of uh, grow at any cost, which we ended up paying for, you know, um, trying to do that too much. Um, and, uh, you know, it's grow at any cost means grow at the cost of profitability, you know, grow at the cost, just grow, 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 no matter what that means. Um, and that growth is more important than, than profit um, or anything else, uh, which in my view is just not healthy um, for most companies. But the reason that this is impressed on you when you go the venture funding route through the ecosystem itself and your investors is because the model for these guys is they know that most businesses fail. Um, it's just statistics. Like most uh, small businesses fail. There's only a couple that, there's a small percentage that actually make it long-term. Um, and so they're looking for their unicorns. And so they don't care if you die. Um, they're trying to make all of the portfolio companies grow you know, like crazy so that one or two of them can make them back you know, 10 times their money or 100 times or 1,000 times their money. So, um, so yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's the best path for every business. In fact, I think it's really not. It's kind of like a false narrative that you – that at least we like subscribe to because of this ecosystem that is just that puts that framework onto every company. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting insight. And you know, I'm not, I'm not so sure that that's the route for me. I live here in Bali and there's uh, real nice beaches and tons of acro yoga around. And <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure I'm willing to, uh, to give all that up for the time being. Um, and yeah. one other thing, Chris. How old? Uh, sorry, what was that? How old are you? Uh, twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. No. I would keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> That's, that'd be my. <laughs> it's not too bad for the time being. And, and what about you, Chris? For for all the listeners here who see this beautiful face, um, you know, age. Um, are you single? Are you married? I am thirty-one, and I am single. You heard it here first. Oh. <laughs> Tinder, get on Tinder. <laughs> there no, we go. <laughs> I don't. I'm really bad at all of that. I just, I can't. Tinder just makes me sad. I, I can't even use it. There's, I don't know. I'm, I'm bad at all that stuff. So I don't know. Hey, I like um, kayaking and uh, surfing and avocados. So um, if you're into that stuff, then hit me up. Maybe we can hang. Well, incoming, we have some people sliding into Chris's DMs right now. <laughs> well, Chris, there is also something that I'd really like to get your take on because you just work with so many brands and you have an interesting insight into, um, you know, maybe emerging trends or where Amazon is going. Where do you think in the next six to 12 months are some emerging trends that you're seeing or some, some changes that you see brewing with Amazon? that might be really interesting for our listeners. Six to 12 months, that's an interesting time frame. I mean, I, so what I definitely see is an entire, a wave sweeping the entire marketplace of uh, professionalizing how listings are created. Because it used to be that like most listings that you see are not really optimized. And it was kind of the guys inside our community that were that knew the science of how to 
speak to both the robots, the A9 algorithm, and the humans, you know, the people that come to the listing, and elegantly craft copy that can weave in keywords while still being high converting. Um, but now I'm seeing like a wave of all, ev everyone is upping the ante with the professionalism that they bring to creating enhanced brand content, to the professionalism that they bring to um, crafting a, a compelling listing. And uh, I mean, professionalism in every sense, I mean, you can bring this also to driving external traffic with everything that's happening with Facebook chatbots now. Um, and all of that, uh, I think it's all part and parcel of the consolidation happening on the Amazon marketplace. And there are companies like Thrass.io taking advantage of this. Um, <clears throat> Thrass.io is one of the biggest, I don't know, maybe it is the biggest, but it's one of the biggest, most active acquirer of Amazon brands in the space. I'm friends with uh, some of the guys over there. Um, and, you know, they see the consolidation happening as well. And in fact, they're facilitating it by buying up a bunch of Amazon brands and bundling them together to make their operations more efficient so that they can grow and kind of take over their niches. And then from their perspective, that bundle is worth more than the sum of its parts because they can take that and IPO it or get acquired by, you know, some other uh, consumer products, you know, mammoth. Um, but in any case, all that to say is that I, I definitely think that we'll continue to see this consolidation happen where sophisticated strategies when it comes to uh, conversion, traffic, um, the PPC, uh, and content are not, uh, don't give you an edge, but actually just give you the foundation um, to be able to even play in the space. Uh, yeah, that's so that's that's the main trend I see. I mean, when I started selling in 2015, um, it feels like we're looking back on it that that was like the wild, wild west because you could do like, you know, one simple promotion giveaway for a single day and be at the top of page one and stay there. Um, and everyone else, you know, had Chinglish on the listings or it was like, you know, really badly non-optimized listings. Now it's like you to, to even play, to even be on the field, you need to have sophisticated strategies for all of this. So I think that'll continue over the next year. Yeah. So to recap that, basically the the price to play is just getting better. If you don't have your PPC figured out, if you don't have really great photos and really well optimized listings, if you're not tracking all those KPIs that you mentioned earlier in the podcast, then other people are, are going to eat your lunch is what you're saying. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> so... If you are one of these people who is looking for a get rich quick online scheme, then Amazon in 2019 and 2020 is probably probably not the best thing to go. What do you think? Uh, yeah, well, I will say this. I think um, as with every ecosystem online, creativity starts to become a more and more important factor as it matures. Like even if you look at Google, like you could rank any website just by creating thousands of backlinks to random other websites, like way back in the day, you know, in the early 2000s or whatever. Um, now it's so much more sophisticated and, you know, Google is doing better and better job rewarding truly great content. And it's harder and harder to kind of game the algorithm, which means that great content producers get rewarded instead of hackers. Um, and by hackers, I mean people who know the hacks, not hackers, um, but like folks who just use little hacks and tricks and tactics like the backlinks that I mentioned. Um, and so that's a trend. And the ex a lot of people say Amazon is where Google was eight years ago. And I think that's true. And I think, you know, what that, what the logical conclusion that that leads you to is, well, my own creativity uh, and ability to create true value is going to have more and more of an impact as time goes on. And my ability to find hacks and tricks and, you know, little tactics and things like that uh, is going to have less and less of an impact as time goes on. So the logical conclusion to that is to spend more time on creatively crafting real value and less time on studying hacks and tricks and manipulations. And what that means 
is creating a very unique character and brand identity and very unique content around that, whether it's video or just your messaging or, you know, your, um, your visuals, um, creating great and unique products and possibly even innovating, uh, or inventing, um, because that gives you, you know, a complete edge and, you know, it takes creativity and it takes work to do, but if you can do it, uh, you can get a completely blue ocean market that is fully separate from the red ocean market of just slapping your label on something from Alibaba and throwing it online. Um, and then there's creativity that you can express in other ways in like what you do, Danny, which is, you know, managing an audience and giving them valuable content constantly and, you know, feeding them with those jabs, you know, that jab, 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 um, punch, uh, type of Gary V method of just giving, giving, giving value and creating a, you know, a raving fan base and raving audience. You guys are raving, aren't you? You podcast listeners out there, you guys are a raving audience. I hope so. I'll I can hear them. I raving. can hear them in the distance. <laughs> <laughs> send me your Instagram Raver. stories of you guys out raving. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I want to see some memes of like uh, Danny Carlson, like podcast listeners with like like Kanye West glasses on and like you know a light up like necklace and like. <laughs> That's my like, audience. They're all ravers. <laughs> oh, Bunch of ravers selling on Amazon. <laughs> oh, but yeah, what you just said, I think is such great advice too. And usually I find myself um, with pretty much any kind of business advice I give, it tends to be stuff like this. People in the online, make money online space, especially people who are newer getting into it, unfortunately, I think are they're showing a lot of things that give them the mindset of that hacker mindset of like, hey, you just have to yeah. get this thing up there and you have to figure out these few hacks and these little tricks and you can make mm -hmm. it work and you can start making some money. And that's the mindset of like, hey, let's get a few thousand dollars a month in the door um, just really easily and quickly. But the problem with that is that that is not a sustainable business. Those hacks, those little loopholes, they get closed incredibly quickly and you need to go find yeah. new ones um, and you'll always yeah. just be chasing the new hacks, the new to get those you'll never be able to build a sustainable business that can grow on itself, right? So the things that you're talking about are their engines for growth. They are engines that a real business needs to have in place to actually to, to survive and grow and continue to grow and be a successful business. Um, and that's not popular advice, right? But what Chris is saying, guys, is, is real core business fundamentals that you need to learn if you want to have a long-term sustainable business and should not be focusing on these little hacks and these quick wins and these quick little quick little tricks and stuff like that you know that not to say that all of those are garbage it's just that should be such a small amount of your focus compared to actually building your business engine in my opinion yeah i was very well said you say it much more eloquently than me yeah that's I agree. <laughs> well, uh, my hair is not quite as quite as neat as yours today, so you got me on that point. Yours <laughs> uh, is elegantly <laughs> disheveled. Elegant disheveled. But you know, I woke up at five a.m. today. Give me a break yeah. here. <laughs> awesome, Chris. Well, this has been a really incredible episode. Going over some some really fascinating mindset stuff. I always love hearing entrepreneurs who have just been through the battles and the front lines like yourself, um, just inside of the mind of people like you is always very inspiring to me. And a lot of the really tactical Amazon stuff here is really useful as well. So thank you for hopping on here. The listeners got a lot out of this, I'm sure. Where can they find out more about you or reach out to you if they, you know, if they want to learn more about you or to slide into your DMs? <laughs> um <laughs> Well, you could find me on Instagram. My Instagram ha handle is easy. It's hippie mogul, H-I-P-P-I-E-M-O-G-U-L. So if you want to slide into my DMs, that's the way to do it. <laughs> hippie mogul, uh, hippie mogul on Instagram. And then uh, I have a podcast as well called Seller Jams, which hopefully we'll be able to get you on, Danny, pretty soon. Um, and uh, yeah, and so that's, you know, if, if you want to hear more of my smooth baritone, then uh, you can check out Seller Jams and, and yeah. So that's that, those would be the main places. You're here to hear, guys. 
Chris loves surfing, he loves avocados, and he's single. So slide into his Instagram DMs. And if you guys want to check out the show notes, head to actualizefreedom.com and um, you know, leave us a review on iTunes. If you guys haven't already, I love reading your reviews on iTunes, on Stitcher, or whatever kind of crazy app you're listening to these days. Leave a review. If you don't, then um, you're not a real Raven fan. So You're not a real Raver if you don't leave a review. You're not. I want, yeah, you yeah. want to be one of the cool kids? Then yeah, leave a review and be a raver. <laughs> I want to, uh, I definitely want to like second that, um, because I think it's easy as a listener to kind of tune that out when you hear it, um, you know, every time your podcast host says it, but just as a guest, um, you know, I, Danny and I aren't like the best of friends yet. Hopefully we will be when I come to, to Ubud and you teach me how to wake up at 5 a.m. every morning. But uh, just from being on this podcast, I can tell that and, and being on the newsletter for the past uh, month plus, I think maybe two months now, um, you know, Danny is one of the few that really cares about really delivering true value constantly to his audience. And I think that, you know, folks like like you, Danny, should be you know, really rewarded for that. And so I just want to second as the guest of this podcast that um, – you know, it's easy to tune out the leave a review, um, you know, on iTunes or Stitcher or whatnot. Um, but, you know, as a guess, I, I would encourage you to truly do that. You know, just take the 20 seconds to stop what you're doing right now, open up iTunes and just leave that review because, uh, you know, we, we want to encourage each other as entrepreneurs and help each other in this community and act as a community that, you know, that helps one another out and is there for one another. And, uh, you know, for someone like Danny who's really delivering value, you know, such a small act means so much to him uh, and takes so little of your effort to do. So stop whatever you're doing right now and do it. Leave the review. You heard it from Chris, guys. Peace. This podcast is sponsored by the Helium 10 suite of tools. And we at Kenji ROI have been using Helium 10 for more than three years now. They have so many tools packed into one, I don't think that there's a better value. Um, and we use it all the time for ourselves and our clients, so we can actually recommend it from real experience. We use their keyword tracker to see how our product launches are doing, the keyword indexing tool to ensure that you're actually showing up for your main keywords. Super, super important step right there. And also Magnet and Cerebro, a really powerful combination for finding keywords your competitors are using or just finding new keywords to put into your listing in general. You should be using this on you know, at least a monthly basis to see if any new keywords are coming up um, because new searches are coming up all the time, guys. Like people are searching on Google. Um, I forget the number, but a huge percentage of those searches are brand new, never been done searches. So if you guys want a discount code, you can use 50 Kenji ROI for 50% off your first month of Helium 10 or 10 Kenji ROI for 10% off for life. So that's a pretty good discount. You might as well. Um, we use them and recommend them for years. So if you guys need that, you guys will definitely get good value out of Helium 10. For show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit KenjiROI.com.